You'll never have a case of the Mondays when you've got baseball in your life. It's Monday, March 2nd. MLB Morning Coffee starts now. Yeah, I can't park my car, get my bags, and put on some weight, will you? Well, you buy a hat like this, I'll bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. Oh, yes. Happy Monday, everybody, here on MLB Morning Coffee. My name is Greg Mraz, your host, as per usual. Apologies for the delay in getting this up. I wasn't feeling too good last night. I went to bed early, just was feeling under the weather. I woke up a little bit later this morning because I wanted to make sure I got a good night of sleep in. I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go this morning. And we're going to have ourselves a nice conversation today. As always, write a review, leave a rating, subscribe. If you listen on Apple Pods, do it there. If you listen on Spotify, I actually don't know how you do it there, but do it nonetheless. And as we start every day, here are the Daily Grounds. Tampa Bay Rays top prospect Wander Franco, the number one prospect in all of baseball, has been added to the Dominican Republic's team for the upcoming Olympic qualifying tournament in Tempe in Surprise, Arizona from March 22nd to the 26th. He has also been added along with Jose Bautista, who just turned 39, that is going to face strong competition from the United States, Canada, Colombia, Cuba, Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. All of these teams are vying for just one spot in a tournament that will include Israel, Japan, Mexico, and South Korea. The second and third place teams in this Arizona tournament are going to have a chance to qualify for the final two spots in a tournament in Taiwan that is now going to be June 17th to the 21st. It's going to be just barely a month before the Tokyo Games because it was originally supposed to happen the first week of April, but because of the fears surrounding the coronavirus and traveling to the Far East, that tournament is going to be June 17th through the 21st, which is going to be very close to the minor league all-star breaks for a lot of full-season teams. But for anybody on these qualifier teams that don't win this Arizona tournament, they're going to have to go back to the Far East to compete in what should be a very interesting time having to get out from a lot of minor league obligations to go compete in this tournament, to go qualify in the Olympics, probably come back to their respective countries and then go back east for the Olympics again. In any event, it's a big honor for Franco, who probably gives the Dominican team a pretty significant advantage. Jose Bautista, I'll be very interested to see how he performs in this tournament because he's nowhere near what he once was. But in any event, I think it's really cool that Franco gets to do this. This is, of course, not taking into consideration the fears that coronavirus is spreading throughout the entire world right now, but I think in terms of an achievement standpoint, this is pretty darn cool for such a young and awesome guy. Cody Bellinger is out of today's Dodgers spring training lineup because of side soreness. Bellinger was a part of Albert Pujols' annual charity event held at Topgolf in Scottsdale last night. We're going to get to a video that they tweeted out about Mike Trout at this event earlier on. Manager Dave Roberts said, quote, it's really not a big deal. Cody wants to play. There is no gain. It just makes no sense. When you have your reigning MVP get scratched because of an injury, it's always going to put people on high alert. But the key simply is this. Bellinger needs to stay healthy in order for the Dodgers to be at full strength. And if it means missing a spring training game here or there, then that's what you have to do. His health is more important 
than almost anybody's health on that entire team this season. Now, that's not degrading the health of any other players, such as a Corey Seager, who's already undergone Tommy John surgery a couple years ago, and Mookie Betts. But Bellinger, at his best, he's one of the top three hitters in baseball, and you've got to keep him healthy at all costs if you're going to win that 2020 title. New Texas Rangers ace Corey Kluber is back on a mound for the first time in 10 months. Kluber had his season end last year as a member of the Cleveland Indians when Miami's Brian Anderson lined a ball off of his right arm and broke it. Kluber said, quote, The way I would judge a spring training start is how well I'm able to execute pitches, get the ball where I want, avoid hard contact, which I think I did pretty well for the most part aside from one home run. Kluber continued, it just turns into another start, whether it's the regular season or spring training. That's kind of how everything goes for me. Texas manager Chris Woodward added in that, quote, he looks really good. I felt like he was spot on. Balls were moving all over the place. Backdoor sinkers, front door sinkers, cutters. His command was good. He's always going out there like he has something to prove. And the Rangers certainly have something to prove by acquiring him, in which they traded away Emmanuel Klaas and Delino DeShields, to the Rangers, or rather to the Indians, in exchange for one year of Corey Kluber. I bet they hope to assign him to a long-term extension, but that's going to be mainly based upon what he's able to do this season. Kluber is one of those really stoic guys. He goes out there, he does his job, and that's that. I think if Kluber is good, the Rangers might have a sneaky chance to compete for a wild card in 2020, but good to see him back and healthy. He's one of the more likable guys in baseball, and I wish him all the best of success in this upcoming season. That is the Daily Grounds for Monday, March 2nd, 2020. So one of the things that I feel like is going to change the game of baseball in an abnormal way this year is the three batter minimum. So Major League Baseball, and they were considering doing this throughout the entirety of last offseason, has instituted a three-batter minimum for relief pitchers for this upcoming season, which means if a reliever comes into the game, they have to face three batters before they can exit the game, effectively eliminating the one-batter pitcher. So a lot of times you see managers, and it was first introduced by Tony La Russa back in the 80s when he was with the A's, He continued it into his time with the Cardinals, and now guys like Joe Madden have really perfected the art of, I would like to say, overmanaging at times. But if you've got a scenario where you've got an inning where you've got a lefty, a righty, and a lefty, you can bring in a left-hander, pull him after one batter, bring in a right-hander, pull him after that batter, and then bring in another left-hander. It's a way for pitchers to get themselves advantages. Now, There are some splits that will argue that the lefty-righty matchups don't matter, but I seriously think that they do, especially in left-on-left situations because it's a lot harder for a left-handed hitter to pick up the ball out of a pitcher's hand because the lefty has got a different eyesight toward that pitcher, and from that angle, a left-handed pitcher can hide the ball longer. So the lefty can't see how the ball is coming out of the pitcher's hand until much later, which means he has a much more difficult reaction time. So what you've done here now is you've eliminated the loogie, and the loogie is effectively known as the left-handed one-out guy. So L-O-O-G, and then they add a Y because you got to add a Y to any nickname, so he is the loogie. For as long as I can remember, the loogie has been a part of baseball lore. It is something that a lot of us understand as being a part of the game. 
And while it can slow games down at times, having pitchers yank guys in favor of other guys, it is well within the manager's right to do what he sees fit strategically in order to gain an advantage. And that is how left-right-left matchups end up working in the later innings of Major League Baseball. And that's why in the postseason, you see fewer starters on a roster, you see more relievers so that you can play the matchups a little bit more. And I have no problem with this happening. It's part of strategy. It's part of gamesmanship. And it's something that, in one form or another, every manager has done. But because Rob Manfred thinks that the time wasted in between pitching changes is slowing down the game, they instituted this three-batter minimum. However, the rule does have a bit of a contingency to it. So if a pitcher comes in and finishes the inning before he reaches his third batter, he doesn't necessarily have to come out for the next inning. But whoever does come in, they have to face a minimum of three batters. So you are going to see a causality of effects from this, and here's why. You're going to see basically the elimination of guys who are mainly lefty specialists. I think that because righties can load up a little bit more and you see a lot more right-handed power hitters that you're going to end up having less left-handed specialists. So guys like Ryan Buchter, who pitches for the A's, or um, Alex Claudio with the Brewers. Like These lefty specialists are Tony Watson, a good example. You're going to see less and less of these guys because their role is effectively being eliminated. Like, you'll have guys, like the Giants used to have Javier Lopez on their roster strictly to pitch to left-handed batters, and now you're not going to be able to have that. Those guys are going to have to learn to pitch to multiple righties in a row, which brings up the next ramification of this. You're going to have lineups that are staggered completely left, right, left, right, left, right. You'll hardly ever see two left-handed batters in a row because a loogie, or in that case a left-handed two-out guy, would be in to face those two batters and then somebody else. Since it's going to be a three-batter minimum, you're not going to have guys come in and face multiple left-handed batters in a row. So managers are going to stagger their lineups so that they don't have to put multiple left-handed batters in a row. You could have left-right-left, right-left-right. Depends on what your lineup is going to be that day, but very rarely are you going to see two left-handed hitters next to each other in the lineup let alone three. So if you're going to use one of those left-handed one-out guys, then he is going to have to end up coming in with two outs in the inning, facing that guy, and if you wanted him to face the next guy, he was going to have to face that guy, and then the guy following, who would probably be a right-handed hitter if the manager structured his lineup in that way. So that's going to be coming out of the game. It's going to be more difficult for guys to get used to how they manage their bullpens. Like, if you are a manager and you have a certain strategy for how you navigate the late innings, like, are you going to have that many lefties out of your bullpen? Are you only going to put lefties that are good at going inside on righties? How are you going to utilize a lefty in a situation where you want to bring him in to face a lefty where he has an advantage, but then you have to keep him in for a righty that more than likely will pound a lefty if he gets a good pitch to hit? There are so many different Pandora's boxes that you can open here, and I just don't like the rule. Like, there are certain rules about baseball that I do enjoy. Why do you have to implement rules that kind of go against the grain of the game? If a manager has X amount of pitchers on his roster, 
he has the right to use them where he wants them. Like, it's not that hard to understand that managers manage a game a certain way because they have a certain strategy. I don't understand why Major League Baseball had to change this. But now that it is in effect, what are the effects of it going to be throughout the season? I think you're going to see higher batting averages against left-handed pitchers because you're going to end up having more left-handed relievers facing right-handed hitters. I think you're going to end up seeing less left-handed relievers in high-leverage situations. Like, if you're in the eighth inning in a one-run ball game and you bring a lefty in to face one lefty, but he has to stay in the game for two righties, like, you're not going to want him to face those righties. You're also going to end up seeing a lot of guys faking injuries because of this. Like, you could end up, like, manipulating this rule to where a left-handed pitcher comes in, faces one batter, and then ends up faking an injury. You know, one of those old Rodney Dangerfields, oh, my arm, it's broken, or something like that, where you're forcing that guy to come out of the game. But then there have to be stipulations in terms of when that pitcher can pitch again if he leaves the game because of an injury and he is not qualified for the three batter minimum. It's just a bad rule. It's not well thought out. It's not taking into account that there are other things that slow the game down. And it's just like Rob Manfred is on this crusade of trying to speed the game up because he thinks that it can gain more viewers. I mean, let's accept this fact for what it is. Baseball is a game with a niche audience. Baseball is a game that has fans that are dedicated to the intricacies of that game itself. Like, and this is no offense to football fans. It doesn't take much to be a fan of football. Most football fans didn't play football. Most football fans just take football for what it is. Guys running, catching balls, scoring points. There isn't a whole lot of strategy because the game, like, moves fast. Like, the strategy is... Certain formations, certain plays, certain routes. Baseball, it's a lot more difficult. Basketball, it doesn't take a ton to be a fan of basketball because basketball is such a high-paced game. Like People like things that go fast. People like things that get their adrenaline pumping. Like That is a natural human attraction. You know, Basketball has got guys jumping up in the air, throwing dunks down and hitting three-pointers and sprinting up and down the court and all of the sort of things that capture a superficial fan's eye. Like, that's not baseball. Baseball is something that takes a while. It takes ponderance of strategy. It takes understanding, you know, what do you throw in a 2-0 count? What do you do in an 0-2 or a 1-2 count? Like, are you throwing your curveball low and away? You're trying to bust them a fastball high and in. You know, how dangerous is it in those situations to actually leave a pitch somewhere in the strike zone. Like, it takes a lot of thinking and strategy to be able to do this. And, like, I like getting in the weeds on that stuff because I grew up around the game of baseball. I grew up around that sort of strategy. Like, when I was keeping score when I was a little kid, I used to keep track of first pitch strikes. Like, yes, that is important. Your first pitch strike percentage is a big indicator of what's going to happen. It is a lot easier to retire a batter when you are 0-1 rather than 1-0. Now, for a lot of the baseball fans that are listening to this podcast, you agree with me. But a lot of people that might have listened to that sentence and be like, what the hell is he talking about? That's the problem. That's the type of stuff 
that most sports fans don't understand or don't want to understand. Or it, quite frankly, bores them because it can take up to five minutes sometimes for a batter to get through an at-bat. Like, it's slow. Baseball is not a fast game, and fans don't have brains to process a slower sport, which is why baseball is one of those games that only attracts a certain demographic. Hockey only attracts a certain demographic, but that's because of the fact that hockey is a sport that is mostly played in cold weather regions, and a lot of people that grew up in the desert states, in the southern states, they didn't grow up playing hockey, so they're not going to be fans of hockey. That's why Atlanta had not one, but two NHL franchises leave for Canada. The Atlanta Flames became the Calgary Flames, and the Atlanta Thrashers became the second iteration of the Winnipeg Jets. So baseball is trying to attract a fan that is not currently a fan of the game. And by that, they're trying to make baseball, quote-unquote, more exciting. Baseball is as exciting of enough as it is if you're a pure baseball fan. If you're not, then what are you attracted to? What is the most lowest common denominator, superficial, attractive thing about baseball? Home runs. And what did Major League Baseball do? They juiced the ball. They wound the ball tighter, and they juiced the ball so that there would be more home runs. Like, seriously, if Brett Gardner is hitting 32 home runs a year, that's a problem. Let's take a look at Brett Gardner's career home run stats. In 2009, 108 games, three homers. 2010, 150 games, five homers. 2011, 159 games, seven homers. He only played 12 games in 2012. 2013, 145 games, 8 homers. He had 10 triples, so he actually had more triples than homers. 2014, a little bit more power, 17 homers. 2015, 16 homers. 2016, he played 148 games, 7 homers. And that's not just a disparity in terms of at-bats. He had 547 at-bats in 2016. When he had 16 homers in 2015, he had 571 at-bats. 2017, he hits 21 homers in 594 at-bats. No, those 594, that is a career high in at-bats for him, still holds to this day. 2018, 530 at-bats, 12 homers. And then this past year, 491 at-bats, 28 homers. Like, I'm sorry. 36-year-old Brett Gardner should not be hitting 24 homers in a year when he's never hit more than 20 all but once. And the two years that he's hit more than 20 were in his last two years of his career. Now, Yankee Stadium is an easy place to hit homers. But the point being, Major League Baseball juiced the balls. They used the Major League ball in AAA this year. Homers in AAA went up 58%. 58%. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you think this is going to be the way that you attract fans is just by creating more home runs in situations where there artificially shouldn't be any? Like, the Pacific Coast League is already a big home run league. There was a guy by the name of Mark Payton that covered him in summer ball back in 2013. Mark Payton wasn't a power hitter. In the AAA A's system this year, he hit over 30 homers. When I met Mark Payton, I was like, there's no way this guy is ever going to hit more than 15 homers in a year at any level. And Mark Payton hit 30 this year. 
and had 97 RBI. In 2018, in 62 games with AAA Scranton Wilkesbury in the Yankees system, he hit six homers. The most homers he hit at any year combined between any number of levels in the minor leagues, 10. He hit 10 homers in 2016. He never had double-digit homers in any other year in the minors. And in 2019, at AAA with the A's, he hits 30. Like, seriously, that guy is not a home run hitter, but you have put into play a baseball that makes him a home run hitter. And why did Major League Baseball do this? Because they want to attract the millennial fans. This is not the way. You're trying to attract a fan base that isn't going to come to you anyway. You're trying to attract a fan base through bells and whistles when in reality the game is not a game that roots for bells and whistles. You root for hit and runs. You root for bunting. You root for stolen bases. You root for hitting guys over. You root for being able to drive somebody in with less than two outs and a runner in scoring position. You root for being able to get ahead in the count and putting a guy away. You root for willingness to work walks and manufacturing runs when your offense is not having a great day. You're not rooting for artificial home runs. That's not a part of the game. And to sort of bring this back around to the initial first part of our conversation, manipulating how many batters that a pitcher can face out of the bullpen is just a way that you feel like is speeding the game up when in reality it's changing the strategy of the game. You are changing the core values of what baseball is and what it means to go out there and manage a game. I would guarantee you that not one of the 30 major league managers are going to have a situation in the eighth inning or the seventh inning and have a left-on-left situation against a guy that is a 40-home run hitter that's hitting 320. that wouldn't rather have a left-hander burn one guy for one out than necessarily have to have one guy for three outs. Like, people want these left-handed only relievers, and you're taking a roll out of the game. Like, there are certain guys that made a career off of that. The Giants' Javier Lopez, he made a whole career off of that. There are many others that did the same as well. Ryan Buchter of the A's came out publicly and said, well, how am I going to earn a living if they put this rule in? Because he was the ultimate left-handed one-out guy. So I hope that this rule doesn't last. I think you're going to see a lot of negative ramifications from it this year. And if it does last, then Major League Baseball is going to have a serious problem going forward. You don't want to manipulate the game and continue to change the game to attract fans that are basically only going to be interested in home runs and strikeouts. And now with the whole launch angle revolution and guys trying to take advantage of the juiced ball, like you have more homers, you have more strikeouts, you know, guys taking pitches, you have more walks. Like by trying to introduce more home runs into the game, You have also introduced more strikeouts. You've introduced more walks. That's making the game go slow as well. And you know what? At the end of it all, who the heck cares if the game isn't fast? If you don't like it, don't watch. I like baseball just how it is. Stop changing the game for the sake of trying to attract fans that aren't going to come and watch your game anyway. Like my generation, I'm 27 years old. There are not a lot 
of 27-year-old baseball fans left. There aren't a whole lot of baseball fans left that are 10 years younger than me. Baseball is not as popular as it once was, but keep the game sound for people that have loved it their entire life. I know that baseball wants to grow their fan base, but baseball is a pure game. Just keep it that way. Please. Just please. So... I know that this was meant to be a conversation about the three batter minimum, but it's just one of those rules that kind of underscores the wave of bad change that baseball has brought upon itself by trying to manipulate the game to attract more surface-level fans. I said superficial a couple times. I think surface-level is a better descriptor for that. Like, baseball is trying to attract more surface-level fans. Football is a game that attract surface-level fans. Basketball, in a sense, can attract surface-level fans, although the pure basketball fan, the pure basketball junkie, is as good of a fan as anybody. And honestly, if you're trying to speed the game up, please, let's not have the batter get out of the box and adjust his batting gloves every second pitch. Like, seriously. Like, that that's something that you could do to speed the game up instead of instituting stupid rules about... Who is going to face what batter for how long? Make the batter stay in the darn box and not adjust his batting gloves every second pitch. Like, stop it! The batter does not need to get out of the box and adjust his batting gloves. That takes too long. Like, Nomar Garcia Parra. Ah! Like, watching him taking a bat, it was like watching paint dry. Like, you don't need to do that. It doesn't matter. You have your grip. If you don't feel comfortable with the grip that you put your gloves on in the first place, that's on you, buddy. That's on you. Am I the only one that feels like that's a part of the game that's slowing it down? Please. It's just... Anywho. Well, I would love to hear what your commentary is. If you've listened to the show, you can email the show, greg.maraz at yahoo.com. On your opinions of the three-batter rule, you can also send me a tweet at gregdmaraz. And would also be curious to know if there are any other rules that you feel like are not working in baseball or ruin the sanctity of the game, ruin the purity of the sport. Because I feel like you could do a pretty deep dive into it and be able to get a good understanding of what rules work and what rules don't. Anywho, before we say goodbye, it's time for our favorite segment, which we don't do as often as we'd like. Check it out. Who cares? Let's check it out. Check it out. So a really cool video that the Angels put on their Twitter account was a video of Mike Trout at a driving range, rather a top golf in Scottsdale, and he launched a ball over the fence that borders the facility. And you could see the flight of the ball as it was taking off, and it was just an absolute rocket, like something you would be used to seeing off the club of Tiger Woods back in the day or Rather, nowadays, a Dustin Johnson type of ball flight. And MLB.com put out more of a miniature article saying, Mike Trout, next two-sport athlete? Well, there actually at one point was a two-sport athlete that was a baseball and golf star, and that was former White Sox broadcaster and former Red Sox and Indians outfielder Ken the Hawk Harrelson. Hawk was a pro baseball player, but he was also a high-level amateur golfer. In fact, Hawk Harrelson is the only player 
in Major League Baseball history to have played in a major golf championship. Hawk actually qualified for the British Open one year, and they used to actually have a PGA Tour Players Tournament, but they eliminated it because Hawk was so good, he was beating everybody by 10 shots every time. And Ken the Hawk Harrelson, who lives in Granger, Indiana, I believe at this point, still holds like a two handicap to this day, which is impressive because of how old he is. But yes, two sport athletes on the baseball and golf side have happened before. We've seen two sport athletes in baseball and football like Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. I think that at some point you could end up seeing Kyler Murray end up playing baseball again. So two sports stars with baseball as one of the sports has happened before, but only once really as it happened with baseball and golf. So, hey, if Mike Trout can play golf, I think that, hey, give it a shot. Play some amateur tournaments. I don't know what his skill level would be, but, hey, see what you could do. I know that Tony Romo, former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, plays in U.S. amateur qualifier tournaments every year and has played in the U.S. Open qualifier a couple of times. I know that Steph Curry has played the Nationwide Tour event a few times here in the Bay Area. Jerry Rice played it once or twice, although Curry a much better player than Jerry Rice was. So there's an option for guys to be pro athletes in golf and in something else. So uh, if it can happen in golf and basketball and happen in golf and football, then it could potentially happen with golf and baseball. Hey, who knows? That's going to do it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. We appreciate you listening. As always, write a review, leave a rating, hit that subscribe button, and we hope to catch you next time here on MLB Morning Coffee. We'll catch you in the AM, hopefully a little earlier than it was today. But still, as always, appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow.